Well, this morning I want to look at a few things that are pretty amazing uh, testimonies from people down through history. And one man actually born on Christmas that I think what he had to share could really change your life. You know, we live in a culture where in the U.S., 90% of people celebrate Christmas, and this year is certainly unique. And whether you're feeling some of the strain from things in the culture and the country around the world, or maybe just your own personal situation, some things we'll look at today you can put into practice this moment to to really find more of the promise of what this time of year means to live in Christ in that victory life. But let's look at some things from some people that went through some dark times during Christmas and how Jesus met them in that place. We'll do the same for you and I. Let's start with Billy Huddleston. He was an evangelist, very, very popular speaker. He would travel, as he would share, basically half the year. So he'd be gone two weeks a month, back home two weeks. He had kids, newly married, said it was a challenge for the marriage, but you know they built their relationship a lot by communicating with phone calls each night. Over Christmas one year, He'd been married just a few years, and he was away at Christmas week, giving a series of sermons at, at a church, and he called home to talk to his wife one night. She didn't answer. Waited an hour, called again, didn't answer. Third call, she didn't answer. He was getting concerned, so he called her sister's house. As he would share, his wife answered the phone, and she said to him five, excuse me, seven words, I don't want you to come home. Now, as Billy Huddleston would share, you know, he packed up everything, left the church he was speaking at, but the reality is he never did go home. She did not reconcile. They were quickly through divorce courts, and he found himself losing everything, and I'll share what he talked about took place next here in just a moment. You know, John fourteen nineteen, Jesus said this to the disciples on the night he was betrayed. And it's the same word to you and I today. Jesus said, because I live, ye shall also live. Because I live, ye shall also live. Now, part of that context is to live in the resurrection life, but it's also to live in this now, here in the life that Jesus promised we would live. But let's look at some things about the original Christmas and we'll tie this in here to something that we'll also see when you get to Easter, because this is one life here, the, the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Some of the same elements that are there at Christmas were there at Easter and vice versa. Let's look at something that he shared took place, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27. We all know this statement here, but this is at Easter, and we're told from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. You know, Christmas, we're going to see there was darkness in that first Christmas as well. You know, Jesus was not born on December 25th. He's born in the feast in September, October. But, you know, December 25th was chosen because the 22nd and 23rd of December are the shortest days of the year. So it's dark most of the day. And so during that time, people said, let's give gifts to try to brighten the mood since it's so dark outside. And the reality is then people started to give gifts around that time, and that's why December 25th is chosen when we celebrate Christmas. But there was darkness there in a different way. We'll see in a moment in that first Christmas, a spiritual darkness. 
just like there's a spiritual darkness that took place there at Golgotha when there was darkness over all the land. Let me read something about that darkness at Golgotha from historians that wrote about that because this was something known and experienced you know, in different countries as that darkness was there and spread. Julius Africanus, Jerusalem, in 180 AD, reviewing history there in that first century, he said, on the whole, there was a most fearful darkness. Flymon, Greek historian 80 AD, records in the time of Tiberius Caesar, at the full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Uh, a fearful darkness. Why was there darkness? Well, sin was being judged at that moment. But notice this. Here's Jerome, 347 AD, writing about historians in that first century. And here's what he shares. In that fourth year of Olympiad, an eclipse of the sun happened greater and more excellent than any before. At the sixth hour, day turned to dark night and the stars were seen in the sky. So there was darkness there at the Easter we're going to see there's darkness there, though, at that first Christmas, and there's a reason for that, because the darkness tried to stop what Jesus was bringing into the world, and the point is that darkness couldn't stop it. There was darkness for a brief moment there at that first Christmas, dispelled by the light of Christ. Darkness there at Passover Easter, dispelled by the light of Christ. There might be darkness in our own world today, dispelled by the light of Christ, because I live, ye also shall live, he says. Matthew 2, we're told, when the Magi had gone, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, get up, take the child and his mother, go to Egypt, stay until I tell you, Herod is searching for the child to kill him. So again, Herod, the satanic figure, bringing darkness, you know, the angel said, you know, glory in the highest, and we bring you good news, but then the darkness tried to move in, but the darkness couldn't last. And that's what we need to understand. Maybe it's your own personal situation you're facing or just feeling some of the overwhelm in the culture today with this Christmas. This is not going to be like we all would like it to be, but recognize no matter what you face, what I face, because he lives, we live. So we don't live like the world lives with the, the fears and the overwhelms. We live in the victory of faith that walking in Christ every day to know he dispels the darkness. I'll share some examples of people that found that very thing at Christmas. And again, a man who was born on Christmas, what he says, I think, can really change your life. You know, Melvin Mogmer said, expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. We come to the end of 2020, moving quickly to 2021, and we have to stop and say, what is my expectation? You know, spiritually, what is my expectation for the dreams in my life, my relationships? Expectation breeds miracles, but a lot of people don't have a lot of expectation. We want to be people that live with expectation and say, you know what? Jesus promised that life. I want to seize that life. Charles Moore shares this. What does the story of Jesus' flight to Egypt teach us today? For those who are displaced, far from home, this story gives hope. Many are in a foreign land this Christmas, some because of violence, others natural disasters, there's economic necessity. Certainly many are going to be isolated from family during the pandemic. Others will spend Christmas on a military base, a prison cell, some a homeless shelter. So, some are inwardly alienated, estranged from family and friends, maybe far from God. At such times, it's tempting to despair, to feel alone or abandoned. But the gospel tells us in these places of exile, God's redeeming love breaks in. And here's the key. In Jesus' life, from the manger to the cross, exile was never the end. 
It was always God's route toward a greater work. So if you're feeling exiled or isolated or some of that darkness in the world, let's show you some examples of how you and I can break out of that and know the light of Christ. Bill and Gloria Gaither, a great example of this. She shared it was in the 60s and over Christmas week, she was at home and you know, her first child was due in about two months. And Bill had gone to bed, and Bill and Gloria Gaither, they've written over 700 hymns and praise songs. But in the 60s, she said she was sitting there Christmas week, and she said, think about that time, you know, drugs becoming very prevalent, marriages dissolving left and right, in education they were teaching God is dead. Alone in the dark, she was just thinking, you know, do I want to bring a child into this world? How can I do that, God? And she said there was just a special prayer time. The next day she got up and she told her husband about that special prayer time, the new hope that she had. And they sat down and wrote what may be their most well-known song, which goes like this. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance this child can face on certain day because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. You know, there's a, there's a fascinating study that sociologists have done. They've done this with different families, but there was a special study they did with, you know, the Vanderbilt family, Cornelius Vanderbilt. You know, when he passed away about a century ago, he was worth $185 billion. And what they wanted to do was find out how his then descendants lived. And so in the 70s, they got 120 of his descendants, you know, grandkids and great-grandkids and grandnephews together. Out of that 120, they wanted to know what happened to that $185 billion Cornelius had. And as they gathered that 120 together, there was not a millionaire in the group. All that money was gone. And they've done this studies with other people that had extreme wealth like that. And what they found, you know, is it's not enough to just pass down money. New people have to take on the same belief systems, the same work ethic, the same characteristics as that person that had that success. And his family, you know, Cornelius Vanderbilt, the second richest person in U.S. history. But within a generation, all that money was gone because people didn't take those same beliefs he had. And so that's why we always talk about, you know, change, it starts in our thinking. If you look at the world today, you watch the news, you listen to the media, they're going to keep, you know, going on about the darkness and the fears. And it's our job and our experience to show people in the darkness, in exile, listen, because he lives, his promise is you and I also shall live if we put our faith in him. You know, yes, there was darkness for a moment that first Christmas with Herod. Yes, there was darkness for six hours that Easter, but it didn't last because the darkness can't overcome the light. Whether it's the darkness in the concerns with the pandemic, or maybe you've lost your job or a broken relationship, you can find that breakthrough in Christ when you start thinking differently, a different type of expectation where miracles become possible because he's the one that drives back all darkness. You know, Billy Huddleston, again, you know, he didn't uh, reconcile with his wife. He, he no longer was a minister. He got a job as a car salesman, he shared. And, you know, he wrestled with his faith. And one day a friend said, why don't you come to church tonight? And so they went. And he said the, the pastor was speaking on Psalm 63. 
In Psalm 63, David wrote when you know his son wanted to fight him and, and use military force to take the throne, and David refused to fight his son. So he left the palace. He left Jerusalem. He's out in the desert, and he shares Psalm 63, and he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land, there is no water. And Billy Huddleston said, you know, as I listened to that story about David, you know, running from a son who wanted him dead and dwelling in a desert far from the palace, losing it all, it's amazing to hear David say, you know, everything you are, God, is everything I need. You're exactly what I need, exactly when I need it. You are my God. Let me read Billy Huddleston what he said next. Why had I waited? Why had I struggled? He had the answer. He was the answer. Everything I needed, exactly what I needed. Next thing I know, I was at the altar pouring out my hurt, my fear, my confusion to a God who had been waiting the past six months to meet with me. I love this. Pay special attention because what he shares next is probably for some of us here to to listen to these very words. Billy Huddleston said, I heard God's affirming voice say, I have great plans for your life. It's not over. And I would say that to you and I today. You know, you know, holidays can be complicated. This year has been complicated. It's not over. You know, there may be darkness in our own personal situations, but it's not over because I live, Jesus says, you shall also live. You know, St. Francis, you know, he's touched the world with just the, the kind, you know, legacy he left, but he left something else that impacts every country, basically, because St. Francis in the 1200s, he created the nativity scene. And he did that because, one, most people couldn't read, and two, most people, you know, they couldn't afford to buy a book. Imagine this, in that time, it's estimated there were 30,000 books in Europe, 30,000. You get to the Gutenberg Press in 1450, and 50 years after that, there's 20 million books. What were most of those books, though? They were Bibles that were printed because people wanted to know the, the word and experience that word. So from 30,000 books to, to 20 million, just mind-boggling. But St. Francis, when there weren't readily available books, he created the nativity scene because he said, I want people to know what it is the light come into the world and the darkness, it, it cannot overcome it. You know, we live in a cynical time, you know, and a lot of people wrestle with, you know, some of the things they see in the culture around them. There's a story, you know, that happened a few years ago. Herman Rosenblatt, he told this love story about he was in a concentration camp and he fell in love with this girl that walked by a fence. It was love at first sight and she handed him an apple came back the next day she gave him a sandwich and then they when he got free from that concentration camp he got married you know oprah winfrey said it's the most beautiful love story i ever heard in my life there was a 25 million dollar movie deal there was a book deal until some journalists started to say listen if you were in a prison those fences are electrified you couldn't put your hand through those fences and no guard would let you approach a fence, and no guard would let some girl walk on the outside to approach the fence and hand something through the fence. And, and Herman had to finally fess up. But it took him 10 years to say, 
to those who believed in me, I am sorry I lied. He created this whole story just to make money. You know, you consider here a few years ago, here's some actual news titles. Atheist convention featuring Richard Dawkins canceled over poor ticket sales. Here's another one. Atheist convention canceled due to lack of interest. Richard Dawkins, the most well-known atheist in the world. And people said, I don't want to hear about non-belief. But imagine this, Dawkins Atheist Convention. This is real. The, the title of the convention was Reason to Hope. And people said that's nonsense. It's absolutely just what people try to sell. But the rest are, are able to say, listen, I don't want the empty answers. I, I don't want the non-answers. I want to know how to move from the darkness into the light. To know in the promise of Christ what it is to, to live in him. Because he said that the life that he promises, because he lives, we also shall live. You know, think about Luke 24, the, the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And we're told that you know Jesus walking with them, but they didn't recognize him. Until he sat down and he broke bread, gave thanks, and he gave it to them. And we're told, then the disciples' eyes were opened. They recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. And Ray Pritchard says this well. It doesn't mean Jesus left. It simply means they could no longer visibly see him. That's the point of the story. Just because you don't see Jesus doesn't mean he isn't there. Just because you can't feel him doesn't mean he has left you. And just because you think you are alone doesn't mean he's no longer by your side. Once you know that Jesus is alive, you have certainty in your heart. There are times we all say, Jesus wish I could stay in your presence longer. And the Lord answers back, my child, I am with you, even when you think I'm gone. You know, that's the realization that here's this gentleman. I want to share something. I think this is life-changing. He recognizes himself. Christmas Evans in the 1700s, most well-known Welsh minister of all time, used by God for sermons. He was named Christmas because he was born on that very day. He had a difficult life, though. His dad passed away when he was six. Mother couldn't take care of him, sent him to live with his uncle. Terrible life, he said. He summarized that by saying, it would be difficult to find a more unconscionable man than my uncle in the whole course of a wicked world. But here's Christmas Evans. He gave his last sermon, and I'll read that sermon here. And he gives this dialogue, an imagined dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. And he dies just four days after this. In fact, when he finishes the sermon, he says, this is my last sermon. And he goes home. And a few days later, he enters into glory. Listen to Christmas Evans, his last sermon. Begin at Jerusalem, Jesus said. At Jerusalem, Lord. Yes. Why, Lord, these are the men who crucified thee. We are not to preach to them. Yes, preach to all. To the man who put the crown of thorns and placed it on thy head. Yes, tell him from my degradation he may obtain a crown of glory. Suppose we meet the very man that nailed thy hands and feet to the cross, the very man that pierced thy side, that spat in thy face. Preach the gospel to them all. Tell them all that I am the Savior, that all are welcome to participate in the blessings of my salvation. I am the same Lord over all and rich unto all that call upon me. Because I live, Jesus says, ye also shall live. 
no matter what darkness there is for the moments in life, the light always breaks through. As Max Lucado shared, he was a baby in Mary's womb. He is a force in you. He will do what you cannot. Can't stop your addiction? Christ can. He lives in you. Can't stop worrying? Christ can. He lives in you. Can't forgive? Can't forget the past? Can't forsake your bad habit? Christ can. And he lives in you. Because I live, Jesus says, you shall also live. So I close with what happened to Billy Huddleston and a prayer that maybe you want to take and share for your own life. And remember, it's not over. Billy Huddleston eventually got back into ministry. It took him four years. What happened, he said, one day he was at this worship service and a friend said something, changed his life. His friend said, you have been listening to the enemy. Let Jesus speak into your life the words he wants spoken. And so every day, Billy Huddleston, he shares this prayer. And maybe it's one you want to take for yourself. Speak, Jesus, in my life the words you want spoken. Help me hear your voice above every other voice. Help me believe what you say. Speak, Jesus, in my life the words you want spoken. Help me hear your voice above every other voice. Help me believe what you say. In all things, we're told that the light has come into the world. The darkness could not overcome it. In all things, we're promised wherever you find yourself today. Because who we are in Christ and who he calls us to be in him, it's not over.